Hello, and welcome to the Low Tech Podcast. I'm Scott Johnson from the Low Technology Institute, your host for podcast number 36 on January 11th, 2019, coming to you out of the Low Tech Recording Room in Cooksville, Wisconsin. Thanks for joining us. Today, we're looking back at 2018 around the world and the Institute. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at low underscore techno. Like us on Facebook, find us on Instagram, subscribe to us on YouTube, and check out our website, lowtechinstitute.org. There you can find both of our podcasts, as well as information about joining and supporting the Institute and its research. It's hard to talk about last year and climate, because I'm an eternal optimist. But this year was tough on the climate, or, more accurately, the effects of climate change, or more specifically, anthropogenic global warming, are becoming more and more obvious and dire. The UN put out a report this year that roundly warned of greater climate effects coming sooner than we previously thought. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or IPCC, just published their 15th special report, which projects the changes we can expect with warming of 1.5 degrees Celsius as well as 2 degrees Celsius. While the full special report is quite long, the summary for policymakers is approachable even to non-professionals. They also produce a three-page headline summary, the IPC equivalent of TLDR, or Too Long Didn't Read, as the Institute is dedicated to understanding how our world is changing as we look to a future where fossil fuels are not as abundantly available, we want to take a deeper dive into this report. So far, we've caused about one degree Celsius of warming since industrialization with the combustion of previously sequestered carbons, that is, our burning of fossil fuels and production of carbon dioxide. And this increase will persist for centuries, or millennia even, as the Earth's temperature continues to rise, ecosystems and human infrastructure are at greater risk of negative impacts. They are bad if we hit one and a half degrees Celsius, and worse if we hit two. Effects include warmer temperatures, more extreme weather systems, heavier precipitation in some areas, with drought in others. If we can keep to the lower projection of 1.5 degrees centigrade total warming instead of reaching 2.0, the sea will rise 10 centimeters less because less ice will melt. Half as many species and ecosystems will be threatened or become extinct due to habitat loss or change. Oceans and their fisheries and ecosystems will be better off as acidification and loss of dissolved oxygen will be less pronounced. And finally, human systems, health, economies, food networks, water, and security will be less disrupted. To limit ourselves to 1.5 degrees Celsius, we must drop carbon emissions almost in half by 2030 and eliminate them by 2050. Even to hit the 2.0 mark, emissions must decline 20% by 2030 and reach zero emissions by 2075. The IPCC describes three different pathways we can choose to reach these goals. Number one, we could drastically reduce fossil-fueled energy use. Number two, we could greatly cut carbon-based energy use with some reliance on carbon capture and storage, which is a technology that's really not to scale yet. Or three, somewhat reduce carbon emissions with greater reliance on the development and impl implementation of carbon capture technology. The authors illustrate a fourth pathway showing business-as-usual emissions and a heavy reliance on large-scale carbon capture technology. This scenario is projected to lead to high warming. The authors note that even keeping to the ambitious Paris goals would not limit our temperature increase to 1.5 degrees Celsius. If the nations stick to their 
and its stated emissions plans, we might be looking at twice as much warming. Not only will a warming planet affect ecosystems and human infrastructure, it will make it harder to reduce global inequality and poverty. Development that focuses on sustainability is necessary to help reduce inequality and help communities rise out of poverty without increasing emissions. Many avenues must be supported, from investment strategies and government policies to technological innovation and change in our behavior, all focus on climate-resilient development and adaptation. International cooperation of national and subnational groups is necessary for the strategy to be effective. And I recently read another article suggesting that uh, curbing population growth is not really an issue because the vast majority of carbon emissions come from the developed countries that have very low birth rates. And those places with high birth rates have much lower carbon emissions. So allowing them to continue to grow large does not necessarily mean that we're going to have a concomitant increase in carbon. This special report represents potential ways forward, but unfortunately, we will, we will be likely to experience the worst case scenarios identified here. The report discusses how the developing world could be part of the solution, where the poorest inhabitants of the world are paid to maintain natural carbon sinks, such as forests, wetlands, and other carbon-hungry ecosystems, and where development in these areas could be made with climate change in mind, unlike much of the inefficient infrastructure in the more quote-unquote developed world. I know how much people like putting off difficult work, especially when effort doesn't pay off until much later. It seems that short-term considerations, like profit or convenience, will trump long-term goals in our current economic and political system. As long as fossil fuel industries remain lucrative, they will exert outsized force on the levers of power. If the report deals with this, it doesn't do it enough. As thorough and conservative as the IPCC is, they are short on social commentary, which is typical of more science-heavy organizations. This is important in one regard, to be seen as an unbiased reporter of facts and data. Unfortunately, in the considered opinion of the Institute staff, it's clear that the emission of greenhouse gases is inexorably linked to our economic system and fossil fuel-dependent infrastructure. By ignoring the important social and economic aspects of global warming, it removes culpability and is less likely to spur those responsible to action. Another worrisome item in the report is that, only, is that the only way to limit emissions without relying on the still developing carbon capture technology is to quickly cut emissions now. And even that requires quote unquote carbon dioxide removal practices, such as reforestation. Continuing on our current or even moderately reduced emissions pathway, we become dependent on the success of carbon capture to keep the world to 2.0 let alone 1.5 degrees Celsius. It appears that the economic and political powers that be are willing to bet on the development of technologies rather than make painful cuts in existing industry and infrastructure that would let us reach the same goal. We already have the tools to make this happen, yet we want to hold out hope for a future fix so that we can continue our current way of life. Let's look at 2018 by the numbers. Uh, 2018 saw plenty of extremes. CO2 emissions have increased 4.7% since the 2015 Paris climate deal. Although 2018 did better than 2016 by 0.2 degrees Fahrenheit, it was the fourth hottest year on record, and four of those four hottest years came in the last five years. 2018 also saw some of the most extreme precipitation totals and events in some areas while droughts grew in California and Europe. 
The average strength of hurricanes and typhoons has increased, with more than three times the number of Category 3 or higher storms since 1980. High tides are causing more than twice as much flooding than they did 30 years ago. The Arctic saw its second warmest year on record. If you go to YouTube and type in NASA Weekly Animation of Arctic Ice, you'll see how each summer the Arctic's ice becomes less and less, and each winter has a less robust recovery. But most worryingly, the old ice, ice that has been around for 10-15 years, has reduced drastically, and this changes the polar ecosystem more drastically uh, than any one year of uh, higher low ice. Furthermore, the oceans have become more acidic as they absorb CO2 from the atmosphere, uh, changing again the uh, biome of the ocean and affecting all the animals living in it. Even as the U.S. government fails to grapple with the enormity of the impending changes, and I don't mean to pick on one administration in particular, some are better than others, but all are getting seized or worse by migrating, the business community and defense department are taking it seriously as evidenced by swaths, swathes of reports. I do like to end on a positive note, and that is our future in a changed environment is what we're really all about here at the Institute. We'll continue to work to develop strategies to house, clothe, and feed ourselves in the post-fossil fuel world, whether that's 1.5 degrees C or much warmer. We are working to use the relatively comfortable time we have now to plan for a more difficult one ahead. So let's look at what we were doing in 2018 at the Institute. We had about a dozen workshops and events over the year. Uh, we started with knife sharpening, flint napping, and maple sugaring last spring. Then we had a Nukadoko workshop on Japanese pickling. Then we did apple grafting and apple, plant, apple tree planting, grafting, and pruning workshop. We did a basic carpentry workshop where we built Aldo Leopold benches. We had a grapevine establishment and care workshop, as well as a shibori indigo fabric dyeing uh, workshop over the summer. In the fall, we had a mite tolerant bee breeding program field day. We've concentrated our workshop efforts and announced an upcoming Skillshare for 2019. We'll have dozens of classes over two days with meals, camping, socializing, and learning. We're really excited about this and we'll cover it in more detail on the, on the blog and podcast. We wrapped up a sustainable agriculture research and education funded grant to study potato growing with market gardeners across southern Wisconsin. You can find full details on our website, lowtechinstitute.org, under the research tab. But in short, we grew potatoes in five ways. Trench and hill, straw mulch, straw mulch over newspaper, grow bags, and potato towers. We kept all the other variables the same, from organic compost to Canabec seed potatoes. We found no one best potato growing method. It depends on your situation. If you have voles, then trench and hill was more reliable. If you don't have voles, or you have lots of water issues, growing potatoes on the surface under straw mulch over newspaper was more effective in terms of labor per pound. If you're growing without access to a garden, then grow bags were far superior to towers in terms of cost and labor per pound of spuds. Our research will be published in Mother Earth News, as well as Acres, a trade magazine, and presented at the annual Moses Organic Growers Conference in La Crosse, Wisconsin this February. Otherwise, we are busy building a timber frame chicken coop and starting our one-hour gardening series, both of which can be found on the blog. Work on our Wallapini greenhouse and solar hot water system continue into 2019 and will be chronicled here as well. We're posting videos about these on our website and YouTube channel. Visit us and subscribe.
We're looking forward to 2019 and the new joys and challenges it will bring. Stay tuned for what's next. That's it for this week. The Low Tech Podcast is put out by the Low Technology Institute. At the moment, the show is hosted, edited, and distributed by me, Scott Johnson. This episode was recorded at the Low Technology Recording Room. Our intro music was All the Colors in the World off the album Indie Folk by Poddington Bear. That song is under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial License. And this podcast is under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License, meaning you're free to use and share it as long as you give us credit. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn Radio. And if you enjoy this free podcast, please help repay us by sharing it with a friend. The Low Technology Institute is a 501c3 research organization supported by members, grants, and underwriting. You can find more information about the Low Technology Institute, membership, and underwriting at lowtechinstitute.org. Find us on social media and reach me directly at scott at lowtechinstitute.org. Thanks and take care. Thank you.